Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast. In this episode, it's all about budget gaming PCs. How much money should you spend, and what kind of hardware do you really need? I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren Penn. It's that time of year again, Dennis, where it seems like we're in a hardware lull of sorts. The trade shows are over, the Computexes and Vegas trips are behind us, but we haven't really reached that time of the year where we're looking forward to the fall Christmas sales, the Black Friday, that sort of stuff. So you know what that means? Back to school. That means back to school. That's right. Retailers have found a great way to part with your money, and that is to get you thinking about a new PC build. Or a new laptop, and what better opportunity than going back to school? And for a lot of folks, that means going back to college. Back to college. Well, yeah, you have to have a dorm PC. Uh, A lot of college kids are going for the laptop or the tablet, or you know, some of them are really just using Fondlepad or their phone. Well, that's true, and that brings a subject that's kind of near and dear to my heart back to the forefront, and that is a lot of folks are for the first time looking at having a new PC of their own. And that may mean that they have had a household PC or they've been sharing a PC, but now they need one for their new home, their new apartment, their new dorm, whatever. Uh And so uh, a lot of the folks have been publishing uh, budget PC gaming guides. So that's an interesting topic, Dennis, because I think everybody's definition of what a budget gaming PC is is a little different. And it's been an interesting evolution in, I think, what a budget PC is. So I thought we could talk about it, maybe talk about some recommended builds for folks that are in this criteria, Uh and maybe look at a couple of these popular builds out there and see what we would do differently if we had the time, the money, and the effort to build a PC or even the need. Ultimately, what would we recommend as a budget PC and why? Well, if we were to find what a budget is, you know, like a budget PC, for instance, some people would look at their pocketbook or how much money mom and dad are going to give you. Right. For me, I would say anything below $1,000 US is probably in that budget category. I mean, that's not like bottom barrel sort of cost, but that gives you enough money to buy decent hardware and something that will last for a while and give you an upgrade path. And I think $1,000 is a nice, easy round number to choose, but I'm making an assumption here that you're talking about the core PC and not peripherals and monitors and all that kind of stuff. That would be correct. The $1,000 would include mostly hardware. Of course, if you have a little bit extra, that might go toward a new mouse or new keyboard. But for the most part, that $1,000 doesn't include anything like a keyboard, mouse, mouse pad, monitor, operating system, which is something everybody forgets about. And you got to at least budget $100 or so for Windows 10. Or if you really are adventurous, you can go for any one of the Linux distributions, assuming you can work the OS. But that does kind of price you back out of compatibility for gaming. So if we're talking about a gaming PC, I think we're kind of limiting ourselves to Windows, and obviously not going to talk about Macs for budget and performance reasons. So if you're a Mac fan, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to fast forward to the next topic. Anyway, uh, I would agree, I think, with the $1,000 budget, but I would throw a different caveat in it because, you know, I used to recommend about $800 as about the price point that you'd need to purchase a PC in. And I find that thanks to cryptocurrency, which we just talked about, that number has slid, which is, is kind of sad. Prices are supposed to come down around this time of year, not necessarily go up just because demand is through the roof. Well, if we get lucky, then new cards are announced and new hardware is released and it drives down the price of the 
older products, but that isn't the case right now with video cards. Uh -uh. So I'd encourage you to check out our cryptocurrency podcast for more information on that. And we'll just brush kind of past that a little bit when we talk about video cards. But I want to offer an alternative definition of what a budget gaming PC is Mm -hmm. that's more target driven. Begin with the end in mind, right? That's a kind of a project manager manifesto. So for me, the end goal of a budget gaming PC is to be able to play your favorite game, which would be a AAA title, at normal to high settings. Now, high is the stretch goal. Stretch, yes. But you should not have to put anything on low. So that may require a little bit of research. For example, I'm a huge Battlefield fan, as people know. And if you're playing Battlefield on a lower-end card, which I would define as a 1050 or lower, you're not going to be able to get the settings at what I consider a minimum optimal playing field. And the same is true if you don't have enough RAM for your game or, you know, you're bottlenecked somewhere else. Even though $1,000 is nice and easy, you may find, based on your favorite game title, that you have to go a little above or below that to get optimum settings. Now, remember, I'm not talking about the minimum settings that are on the box. I'm talking about the recommended hardware settings, and that's a little bit different. Yeah, a lot of people look at those minimal settings and kind of use that as a guide. Say, oh, well, this game requires a Core 2 Duo. I have a Core i5 something, something, something that's not necessarily going to give you the best game performance. It's just going to allow you to run the game. Yeah, and let's face it, they can be a little bit misleading. As an example, Google it. Mm -hmm. You can run Doom now on your smart thermostat in your house if you have a USB port for your controller. We should preface this is the original Doom, not the latest Doom. Yeah, but it just goes to show that if you really want the minimum gaming performance, uh, you might already own it. (laughs) Exactly. Anyway, uh, with that in mind, I thought let's talk about what in a gaming build we think are worth a stretch. And then maybe we can look at a couple of these builds and see how they go in with that. When I'm recommending a gaming build, and I'm going to ignore video cards because we kind of just touched on that, and we can maybe come back to that again in a little more detail because that's kind of the most important but most obvious thing. So, Dennis, let me ask you, if you were recommending a system today, you probably have kind of a minimum build in mind already. We all kind of do, but what would be the first thing you'd say, all right, well... If you're going to throw in a few extra bucks, it's worth the stretch to get this. Core i5 processor. Oh, going yep. straight for the processor. I would go straight for the processor because a lot of people get hung up on the fact that we have AMD, which is really inexpensive. And right. then we also have Intel, which is really super expensive. But they never factor in how much the motherboard costs and how much the memory costs that actually goes in with that. And if you go with an Intel-style processor, you have a large pedigree of you know performance. Intel's been the performance leader for a really long time. And of course, everyone will come back and say, oh, well, Ryzen's super fast. Right. It's got extra cores and stuff. And well, when it comes down to it, a lot of the AAA games still aren't multi-threaded enabled. So right. they can't use those extra threads that come with Ryzen. So in terms of performance, you still get a Core i5 with a Ryzen CPU. So if you're not planning on serious multitasking, I'm talking music, recording software, maybe twitching on this lie, you don't pick up any benefit. Nope. But I do want to nail you down a little bit because I think i5 isn't as narrow as it used to be because that's a large range. So when you talk i5, can you be more specific? You know, I, I would love to say i5 K series so that you get that overclocking ability. You also get a slight bump in clock speed, but... If you don't care about overclocking and you're just going to be gaming all the time, you know, get something middle of the road, i5, that gives you the four cores, no hyperthreading. Also, it locks the CPU, so you basically have a set speed that you can run. 
that also gives you the platform to upgrade later if you want to actually go to that K-series or you want to go to a Core i7 K-series. That way you have an upgrade path. Now, you did already mention that people don't think about the motherboard. So when recommending an i5, I know that you can go all the way from, you know, $50 budget offerings up to four or $500 monster full-featured boards. But is there a specific chipset, a specific price point that they would be looking at to accompany that processor? Well, I always go for the gusto. For me, motherboard is something you should never skimp on. Motherboard manufacturers now are including really high-end sound cards. They're including... PLX chips so that you can split lanes and run extra SSDs and multiple video cards. Depends on the size of the motherboard and stuff like that. They also have enabled um, enhanced memory support and RGB and stuff like that. So don't skimp on the motherboard. Go not maybe top of the line because that's going to might cost you around $400, but the next step down somewhere around the $250, $300 range. And I think you make a good point. And you've also kind of made a good segue into what would be my choice. Now, again, I've mentioned that video card is kind of the obvious answer. Mm -hmm. So that aside, I think that if you get a popular processor motherboard combination, you're probably going to be okay, again, thinking about the minimum system requirements for your game of choice. So I would tell you the stretch for me is always in the storage department, Mm -hmm. and that is to get an SSD, or if you really want to stretch, get an M.2 SSD. Again, if your motherboard that you've chosen will support it. Yeah, that's another thing. Another thing to keep in mind with the motherboard is compatibility for that kind of stuff because we have multiple M.2s on some of these motherboards and some of them only have one. Right, and you can get by, I think, with a single SSD and you don't even need an onboard solution like an M.2 because the older technology is still so much faster than a standard rotational disk that you can go out there on the market and you can find a generation or two old 500 gig, you oh, know, yeah. but at least a 250 As your boot drive, it'll work as your core storage until later, and you can add a very cheap storage drive without having to worry about the speed later, even if it's a budget issue. So 4 gig, 6 gig, you know, whatever the market will bear, you just watch for a good sale when your budget supports it. And that's kind of why I don't talk about peripherals too, because let's face it, you can go out there for about 20 bucks and get a peripheral that's going to be a mouse keyboard combo that's going to survive until you have the budget for something nicer, assuming that you ever need it. I'm a huge fan of having good gaming peripherals. It's kind of like the tires on a car, right? You know, the better your tires are on the car, the more performance you're going to have because it's all about the rubber meets the road. And the same is true with peripherals, but it's not going to overcome not being able to run the game correctly at the right settings. Yeah. So SSD does a couple of things for you. One, it's going to give you lightning fast transfers and boot, which means you're getting in and out of games faster, getting in and out of maps faster. It's reducing your read-write latency. It's giving you better caching, which is really great for hit detection, those hit boxes, any of that kind of stuff. You're going to get no game latency. And then you're looking at the lowest common denominator in your system again, which most likely would be outside the system, and that'd be your internet connection. So never let your system be the bottleneck, and to prevent that, the hard drive really is the most obsolete piece of hardware inside of most people's machines. It's just fact. So what would we have to round out that budget machine? We have cooling, which can be Mm -hmm. just about anything. You could go OEM or you could go all-in-one. Well, if you go with the factory non-K edition, you're probably okay with the OEM. And it's probably going to be just exactly what you need, assuming you're not in some sort of extreme environment. And in terms of, oh, chassis. Chassis? Yeah, and this is a tough one because I know you and I are very opinionated about the chassis, but the reality is you can get a great chassis, especially if you watch the sales on the deal sites for, you know, maybe 50, 75 bucks shipped. 
and and it's just ridiculous. And what I'd encourage you to do there, and, and Dennis, I think you'd agree, is buy a case from a manufacturer that gets a lot of press for their designs. They make good cases because that means even their lower end cases are going to get some trickle down from that. And a great example of that is a, a MSI Corsair style case. Even Thermaltake, you know, will make a budget case. It's going to have a lot of nice features and some expandability. And don't skimp on size, especially right now when it's really easy to go with the micro. It might be cheaper in the short run, but it dramatically limits your ability to add on or upgrade later. And it also limits how well the system cools. A lot of people don't realize this, but if you get a little toaster-sized chassis to fit in a a mini ITX motherboard, it limits how much air is actually in the system to cool down the system. So when you're actually gaming and running the system at its limit, it's dumping a lot of heat into that case that you now have to remove. Yeah, and an extreme addition of that, you're going to see processor throttling and video card performance degradation because the heat requires those cards to slow down. And on the extreme opposite, if you go with like a, a Cosmos 2, which is as big as a small child, it's not going to fit <laughs> in your dorm room very well, but you know, it's going to be dead quiet because it's going to have all that volume inside to keep the system cool. I think there's a reason that the mid cases have been so popular for so long. And the trend seems to go larger or smaller, but the mid-size cases tend to hit that sweet spot between size and performance, and that's the cooling. And again, I would definitely recommend a name brand. Is it worth the stretch to get some cool stuff like glass or aluminum cases? Not if you're on a budget. It just isn't. No, not on a budget. Uh, I would say don't buy the $20 chassis, but then, Mm -hmm. no, don't play it smart. Don't spend $200 on the case either. Let's see. What else have we missed? Okay, so RAM is kind of the obvious one, and RAM is very dependent on your motherboard choice. So it really should be something that you consider before you pull the plug on your motherboard because you need to know what kind of kit to get. But I think it's safe to say that right now you can get by with 8 gigs, but the difference in price between an 8 and 16 just makes it not worth it. You should really go with 16, especially if your plan is to game. Yes. In terms of speed, I always say, you know, fastest speed ever. But when, yes. you're, but when you're on a budget and if you're not going with that K-series processor, you can get by with just using whatever JDEC wants. So for a Core i5, the latest generation, that's 2133 in terms of memory speed. You can buy those kits for like $20, $30. Exactly. And again, I would stick towards the manufacturers that you recognize. And as a general rule, if they make a gaming style of memory, it's going to look a little prettier. It's going to be a little bit higher quality. It's not going to look like a generic piece of PCM, which is what your motherboard looks like. And you're going to be safe with uh, pretty much any major manufacturer. So that's something that you can look for a sale on. And your motherboard's going to tell you if you need to get a a set of two, a set of four, if you're doing dual channel or, or otherwise. So pay attention to that. But your motherboard probably has a recommended range of memory. And like so many things we've already talked about, avoid the lowest end of it. You don't need the highest end. Try to find that sweet spot in the middle for speed and then find a good sale. Exactly. We have one last item that we did not discuss. One last item. Bring it power supply. Oh my gosh, and I feel so guilty. You were talking about the motherboard being the foundation of the PC, and I would strongly disagree. Something we've talked about in the past. The power supply really is the unsung hero of your system build. It's so critical because it keeps everything alive. It's the heart, if you will, and the motherboard and the processor, the brain, and the, I don't know, the nervous system maybe. But your power supply is the foundation that makes it all work. Two things to look for in a power supply. One, 
what its rating is, mm-hmm. and two, obviously, what its wattage is. Its wattage. In terms of the 80-plus rating, that's the one we're talking about. Yes. Any power supply out there that has an 80-plus rating is going to be really good. Yes. If you go with a bronze, a silver, platinum, gold, whatever, that is talking about how efficient that power supply is at the rated wattage. Oh, let's totally go into that because this is a huge trap for somebody that's going to be on a tight budget Mm -hmm. because you might skimp on your power supply and get a bronze or God help you, an unrated. Don't do that, please. Yeah. Um, but you might get a bronze, not realizing that that means you're going to pay more to use it over time. Mm-hmm. Now, it may take a while to get back up there, but eventually it's going to reach diminishing returns where you could have bought a better power supply. And I would recommend a gold. Definitely a gold. Uh, for instance, like if we go with a 450-watt bronze, and you know, I know you mentioned gold, but yes. if we go with a 450 bronze, and for around $20 more, you happen to get a 650 bronze. Which one's going to be better? Oh, my gosh. That is like a trick question because it's not. It Well, it kind of is. If your system only requires 450 watts of power and you get a 450 watt bronze, that power supply is going to get hot. Yes, that's the, true. The fan in there is going to be pushing a lot because it's at its limit. Mm-hmm. Now, if you get a 650 bronze... Now it's actually running in the little sweet spot. Oh, that's right. And it can idle and use less power at idle because it's capable of it. Kind of like having a V8 versus a V6. Yeah, mm-hmm. You may not need the V8, but you want it to be there when you do. Right. So in terms of like wattage, it comes down to making sure that you have a little bit more wattage in your power supply than what your system requires. If you run a single video card, single CPU, single SSD probably 650 watts is the sweet spot. That's what to look for. Right. Now, if you're not running multiple video cards, I would totally agree. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you see a good sale, 750 or 800, you shouldn't need any more than that unless you're doing a really extreme build. Yeah. And for those ones, you can go with a less expensive one. Exactly. And, you know, you want to look for a brand you recognize and be careful because a lot of really great power supply manufacturers, and I'm going to pick on Corsair because Corsair makes some of the best, really the best power supplies out there, Mm -hmm. but they also make some real entry-level stuff that's just not very good. It's hit or miss, and it depends on the price point, and you get what you pay for when it comes to a power supply. I hate to say it, but regardless of manufacturer, you get what you pay for. So the good news is a lot of sites out there, especially power supply manufacturers like uh, EVGA or, or Seasonic, for example, have on their sites little calculators that will estimate how much power supply you need. And, you know, they're all kind of green as salt, but they'll they'll get you in the ballpark. And as a general rule, they'll overbid you on what you want. So you'll know that you have a little bit of a cushion there because, of course, they want to sell you a little bit more power supply. So, you know, consider the source. But I think, you know, it's if you buy AMD, we should talk about that. If you go with an AMD build, you're going to pay a little bit more because you're going to use a little more power. So you need a little more power supply. And over time, it's going to cost you more money. That savings up front doesn't come without a long-term cost, which is why it's so hard still to recommend AMD products as a budget system because it is a long-term higher expense. Mm -hmm. Let's look at um, what some of the other sites out here are looking at for budget builds, for instance. Perfect. Well, I like this site because, you know, recently uh, PC Gamer and, and Maximum PC and a couple of other of these sites have all kind of gone under the same umbrella. And so they do a lot of the work that we don't have to, right? So we'll link to the article in there, but they do a build guide, a lot of different levels. But today we'll be picking on PC gamers, 
most recent best budget gaming PC build. And, and I like this because they break it out by parts, give you prices, let you click through to purchase it. I'm sure you're not going to be surprised, Dennis, but there's some things here I don't agree with. <laughs> All right, so let's go down the list. First on the list, their list, I should say, the Intel Pentium G4560. Wow. At $70. Okay, well, I can see why they chose that because it really is all about the price because they've limited themselves to a, I think, a limited Intel product. Yeah, this is basically a dual-core CPU, no hyper-threading, limited memory support. It has a small L2 cache. This is basically a processor you would buy if you were just doing Facebook games. Yeah, really, Facebook games, maybe you're into Roblox or some of that browser-based stuff. You know, I wouldn't even necessarily recommend this if you're going to be using your PC for things other than gaming. And a great example is you might be multitasking as a, uh, a home theater PC. You might be using this as your media box and all great reasons to avoid that processor. So the recommend here, again, is Core i5. If anything, go Core i3. Mm -hmm. Go the high end on the Core i3, because that will get you dual core and hyper-threading. It's not quite quad-core, but it's it's a lot better than this Pentium. So the next item, the NVIDIA GTX 1070. Now you know that I have a firm, entrenched love of the GTX 1070 because I think it's the sweet spot for gaming right now. It is. And it that's is. what I run in my machine, and I definitely recommend it. But I can tell you that in this build especially, they really have blown their budget on the 1070. They quote three sixty nine ninety nine, which means that you're getting a generic reference 1070. And for a really good gaming edition card with a nice aftermarket cooler, you're going to be paying maybe $100 more than that, thanks to bit mining. Yep. So I would honestly tell you that although I love the 1070, I would still recommend a 1060 if you're on a budget. 1060 is the way to go with this build. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, crypto mining has made those in short supply. So definitely look for one. That is the card to get, not the 1070. Yeah, and the 1060 might save you $100 if you're patient and you can get a nice name brand with a decent aftermarket cooler. Mm -hmm. Now keep in mind that on your video card is going to do most of the work in your gaming PC these days. So it really is worth shopping around to get one that has a great cooling system on it. Reference is all right, but if you're going to be pushing your machine, you want to look for an aftermarket cooler, which is going to be generally a 20 to $40 boost over the basic price. Yep. But in my opinion, worth it. The next item on the list, I I, uh, I, I hate to say this, Ace Rock, ah. the, uh, the B250M Pro 4. So basically, Ace Rock is already a budget brand of ASUS. Yes. And while they'll design it or deny it, saying they're a completely separate company, it's there's way too much similarities to say otherwise. Yeah, and Ace Rock is what tends to be the commercial version of their OEM product, their basic motherboard line, right, that uh -huh. you'd get in, dare I say, a budget PC build from a major manufacturer, an Ace Rock or a Foxconn product. The other things that this board has against it, it's a B chipset, means it's a business chipset. It cannot overclock at all which kind of goes along with their Pentium G processor. But if you go with the standard Core i5, it's not going to overclock. It's okay. The chipset is okay, but it's a micro or a, yeah, it's a mini ITX motherboard. So there's not going to be a lot on it. Yeah. And if you went with the Z series, you get a few extra perks because it's a higher end chipset. The manufacturers are going to spend more money on that board to put more good stuff on it. Well, I think it's important to note that with the money we just saved you, dropping that 1070 in favor of a 1060, uh -huh. that you are going to be in position to purchase a little bit better motherboard. And what you're going to get out of it, you kind of hinted at, but things like a built-in name brand audio solution 
and maybe a built-in dual network or high-end gig network card on board with its own managing. Wireless. Wireless is going to be built in. You might have M dots. You can have better memory management. So you're going to get at, at about, I'd say, maybe a $100 to $120 range. You're going to pay for it in the long end just dramatically by getting all these extra things that otherwise you'd have to nickel and dime on the side. I mean, who buys a sound card these days? I mean, only the auto enthusiasts, really. Well, and with this and being mini ITX, you're not going to have an extra slot for any expansion at all. You have just a slot for the video card. So Mm -hmm. you need to spend extra money on the board to get more stuff. All right, well, moving on. The next one's memory. And I I have nothing to say here. This is the G-Skill Ripjaws V-Series. It is 2566 megahertz at 16 gigabits. I mean, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. It is perfect, and it's a nice match for a lot of motherboards. The 2666 speed is just about right for a gamer. It's not mm-hmm. the basic. You're getting 16 gigs, which we just recommended. G-Skill, especially the Ripjaw series, have really made a name for themselves in providing good timings, decent speed, and dependability in an attractive package at a great price. Mm-hmm. And they really have grown tremendously because of it. And that isn't to say that you couldn't go out elsewhere and get other memory and we tend to go to Crucial a lot as kind of the hometown heroes. If you don't need high-end memory, they're ballistics brand, always bulletproof, great-looking memory. Uh, of course, they make some good lower-end stuff, but just resist the urge to get suckered into more memory speed than you need. Again, check your motherboard. Go with what's recommended. One of the things that you can look at, too, if you want to be a little bit pickier, maybe spend a few extra dollars, is getting a matched set of memory for your motherboard that would have a recommended XMP profile that would match your motherboard and your processor. And if you get the three of those together in synergy, then you get kind of a free overclock that requires no overclocking knowledge and is rock solid in most cases right out of the box. Exactly. The next item, I'm a fan of this one as well. It's the Crucial MX300 275 gigabyte SSD. Now we just talked about this This is, I think, a terrific example. Again, we like Crucial, and they're hitting that sweet spot that we talked about around 250. That's big enough that you can use it as your boot disk, your primary install for your core applications, maybe one or two core games, Mm -hmm. without the need to go into a storage drive right away. And over time, let's face it, you're going to end up with more crap than you need on your machine, but by then you can go out and get a rotational storage drive cheap cheap yeah just make uh-huh. it as your d drive and store all your stuff out there yeah if you really want to go crazy there are solutions like fast rotational drives you can get a hybrid drive which is kind of a combination of the two technologies but the important thing is you're getting the speed up front at a great price and the option to expand later when you need it if you need it next item is the power supply and unfortunately they went with the evga 450 80 plus bronze which is two of the worst things that we already oh recommended. price motivated Thirty nine ninety nine. I'm going to tell you, if you spend $40 on a bronze power supply, you kind of get what you deserve. Yeah. Even though EVGA is a nice name brand, this is, there's no excuse to having a 450 watt in your machine. Yeah. And this is like the Corsairs we talked about. They, they put out some nice looking power supplies. They're too low. You're not going to get all the plugs for all the modern hardware. You don't have the upgrade path. You can't support multiple devices. Mm-hmm. You're eating power that you didn't expect on the back end. And again, you may not be able to handle the rest of your hardware at peak performance, which is going to cause power shortages, reducing the life and performance of all your products. Did all that sound bad? Sounded bad to me. It sounded terrible. Don't do it. No. Don't do it. Like I say, 600 is probably the minimum. 
the last item on the list, and probably maybe the most important and the least important at the same time, we have a case, Fractal Design Core 1100. Uh, now, this is a tough one because Fractal Design does exactly what I told you. It's mm-hmm. a it's a good product line from a well-rated manufacturer, and this is on the more budget-level design. At $54, it's probably not a bad choice. Now, we don't build in Fractal Designs here, but mm-hmm. only because we prefer some of the options that are from other manufacturers we're more familiar with. Right. But still, I, I couldn't tell you it would be a bad choice, just not my choice. Ultimately, when you buy a case, remember that you're probably going to be in the case for a long time. I mean, some of us, you know, we talked about this, do the hermit crab thing. Yep. But for the most part, you're going to want to spend your money over time in other places. So the case is going to stay while the components get upgraded maybe five or six times in the average person's household. So buy something that's going to breathe, that has expandability. Make sure you're paying attention to how much space that you have for that video card because some of the video cards these days are oversized, especially if you take my advice and get an aftermarket cooler. Mm -hmm. If you go too small on a case, you might not be able to fit all your components. And this is also true if you're looking at an aftermarket water cooling, like an all-in-one water cooling, which is a nice minimal upgrade if you're looking to add onto your build. You know, it just means you got to pay attention to what you can do. Earlier in this segment, we talked about how the GTX 1060 was the optimal video card for a gaming PC on a budget. And I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about AMD Vega and why that one didn't make the list along with, you know, the more popular GTX 1070. Now, this is a tough one because the Vega just came out and it is a relatively new video card and it is designed to compete directly against these smaller end cards, the 1050, 1060, 1070 range cards, right? Mm -hmm. But realistically, more targeted the 1050, 1060 range, which is kind of the sweet spot for entry. So what the Vega architecture does well is it scales very well, which is why they are so expensive because scaling equals Bitcoin mining, right? So the advantages of that are that you're going to get a lot of card for your money. But the disadvantages are, one, right now they're vastly overpriced for what you get, like a lot of video cards in this market. And the Mm -hmm. 1070 is a great example of that because of the Bitcoining, bit mining industry. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not something that we expect to last for a long period of time, but it is something very cognizant right now. And the AMDs also, like all AMD products, are just power hogs. And the Vega is also like that. You're going to get a small performance increase in the Vega over the 480, 470s, especially if you get a factory overclocked model. But you're paying more, you're using more power, and you're stuck in an architecture that isn't as full-featured, I mean, in my opinion, as an NVIDIA card. What do you think? I would agree. You know, I'm a fan of the NVIDIA architecture partially because of the power to performance, the cost. It might be cost a little bit more, but you get the physics performance, you get the game-ready drivers, you get a lot of support from NVIDIA just to help you play games better. Well, on the other side of the coin, too, is that you need to remember that when you're buying into an AMD processor, they're not as scalable, so you don't have the opportunity to later buy another video card and get as much performance. You're also going to get uh, not quite the same amount of memory. They they just don't scale as well. Mm-mm. The memory's not as fast because they're saving money. So that really brings me back around to the 1060. Now, we already talked about if I had my druthers, I would tell you to get a 1070. But the difference in cost right now 
created an interesting, at the time this is recorded, an interesting problem. That is that for the price of a good 1070, like a gaming edition, for example, or an SSC, it's really because of that overpriced demand model right now, only a few dollars more to move into a 1080, which is a vastly superior card, especially if you can afford the 1080. Mm-hmm. But what you're doing is you're nickel and diming yourself out of budget PC area. And when you start talking about a 1080, you really need to upgrade your whole architecture. And that's kind of true with the 1070, although it's a bridge card. But the 1060 really doesn't have that problem. So the downsides of the 1060 are a little bit different. So let's talk about the pros. Okay, so pro-wise, it's perfect for 1080p gaming, and that's something that I've shown in all of my 1060 reviews. Something that we talked about in terms of budget, you want middle-of-the-road settings. Well, when I test video cards, I max everything out. In the review, if you read those, it tells you what settings I use for each one of those benchmarks. I have used a 1060 for 1080p gaming flawless. I mean, you don't have any hitchy. It's going to be 60 plus regardless of what you do. The only real downside is the fact that it only has three gigs of memory. But again, if you're not doing anything more than 1080p, you don't need more than three gigs of memory. And I should also point out the price point. Even in the inflated market today, you can get a really good GTX 1060 for under $250. Mm-hmm. Under 200 if you watch for a good sale. And we're talking about a name brand card, not a generic reference card with aftermarket cooling that we recommended. And what that means is with the money that you save over a, sadly, overpriced 1070 right now, you could almost get a different second 1060 in Crossfire and get the same performance. Oh, and you, no, no, actually. Oh, no. That's right. 1060s can't be used in SLI, but... Oh, no, that's right. Yeah, but if you have certain DirectX 12 games, you can link them over the PCI Express bus and use two GPUs. All right, so another disadvantage of the 1060, but the reality is if you're building a gaming PC, you probably don't care. Nope, it's a budget, remember? And as much as we talk about getting a second video card, the reality is is that 80, maybe 90% of enthusiasts don't because by the time that your performance rates another card, there'll be something new on the market that's going to be in that same price point or maybe just a little bit of a stretch. So we might be talking about an 1160 by then or whatever the next naming convention is. The next step down that I could possibly recommend would be a 1050, but you are really, really scraping the bottom of the barrel for price if you're going this way because you can buy them for, what, $130. They only have two gigs of memory, slower clock speed, fairly good at uh, 1080p gaming at medium to high settings, two gigs of memory, and, you know, they struggle. They're, they're designed to be really low-powered, you know, Facebook kind of stuff. Right, and this one's going to punish you on your AAA titles. I yes. mean, if you want to play a hot game, this is going to be the bare minimum card that we talked about earlier. In general, I think the great advice, and it's especially true with video cards, processors, and RAM, the core components that you need in your PC, is you don't want ever the bottom. You probably don't need the top, so you want to slot in at that sweet spot in the middle. And you just, that kind of advice is good for your entire build. Yeah, it's also good at the bar. (laughs) It is good at the bar. (laughs) So long story short, if you're building a back-to-school PC, it's a great time to be out shopping. There are a lot of great deals and a lot of great choices out there, but you do need to do your homework. You need to pick components that work together. You need to find a budget and stick with it. There are areas that a stretch is worthwhile and there are areas there aren't. So bottom line, again, if you can't get a build that's going to work for you, don't buy a cheaper build. 
spend a little extra time, send a little extra money away. I know it hurts, but in the long run, you'll get a PC you'll be happier with. It's going to perform for you, and it's going to be upgradable in the future, and you just will be gaming with a smile on your face. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on HardwareAsylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2017. Thanks for listening.